Friends, I want to share some thoughts on the Sicha Lukut Sicha's volume 19, Bracha Simchas Torah. I'm doing this out of order. I'm going to do the last part first, just because I think it's easier and clearer to communicate the main essence of the Sicha, which I think that's where it is. Um, and then I'll work my way back. So essentially, you might say the Sicha is posing a, a, a question. What's the connection of Shechayonu with Simchas Torah? We make a Shechayonu on Simchas Torah as we do by every Yamtif. And it's not just connected to the fact that it's a Yantif, it's connected specifically to the fact that it's Simchas Torah. Because that's the name of the Yantif. And if that's the name, then that's the main theme. The name carries the soul. Plus, the previous Rebbe himself writes that uh, Shechayonu that you make on Simchas Torah, which is done during Kiddush or candle lighting, is also for the Torah. Simchas Torah for the Torah. So the Rebbe says, what's the connection between Simchas Torah, between Torah celebration, and Shechayonu? Shechayonu is done on a new thing. Here we're finishing the Torah. It's not a new thing. And even though we're starting it over, but that's because Torah never stops. It's almost like, would I make a Shechayonu in the fact that I continue to breathe? I'm very grateful that I can breathe. But it's not a Shechayonu thing. Shechayonu is on something new, far and away, that's something new that I haven't had, something new, a, t- a change that comes from time to time. You know, the fact that I can breathe constantly, it's a great blessing, but it's a continuous blessing. It's not a new blessing. Similarly, Torah is a, a constant blessing. You're supposed to learn Torah all the time. And when you finish Torah, you start anew, as we do in Simchas Torah, immediately, without any delay, because Torah is our life. So it's a constant flow. It's, a, it's like a heartbeat. So why Shechayonu? How does it come in? And the previous Rebbe seems to emphasize, it's not just because, hey, there's a great joy, so maybe you're making Shechayonu because of your personal joy of, of finishing Torah. The previous Rebbe seems to connect the Shechayonu with Torah. And what's the linkage? That's the Rebbe's question. And the Rebbe is going to come along and illuminate what the idea of Shechayonu is and what the idea of Torah is, and we're going to see that the two of them are really synonymous. It's not just, hey, let's make Shechayonu for Torah. Torah and Shechayonu, to my understanding of this Sicha, that's what the Rebbe's trying to say. Torah and Shechayonu are the same theme. The Rebbe says that um, by prefacing the order of the blessing, Shechayonu, you've given us life. Kimonu, you've given us existence. Yehigiyonu, you've made us reach Zaman Hazeh this time. Now, it seems to be out of order. It should have said, Kimonu, you may gave us existence, and then Shehechayonu, you gave us life, which is a, a greater step than existence. Why does it start with life and then go to existence? So the Rebbe says, this is because well, we're not just thanking God, hey, we're alive. That's not what the blessing is about. Shehechayonu, Kimonu, we're alive, we survived to this day. That wouldn't really be on a deeper level. That wouldn't really be the significance of the Shehechayonu. That's not what a Jew celebrates. Because life is a mixed bag of good and bad. Sometimes we find in life there's more bad than good. And certainly when we say Shechayonu v'kimonu v'yonu l'zman hazeb, the indication is that all moments up until this time are coming with us. They're all perfect. They're all joyous. And that's not the case. It's almost impossible. It's almost unheard of for somebody to live a life where every moment, l'zman hazeb, up until this moment, is moments of, 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 of positivity, of joy, of pleasantness. It's not how life goes. And therefore, the Shechayonu doesn't just mean that. Hey, I'm alive and I arrived to that day. 
you know, kicking and screaming and bruised and sikhijit and semijit. That's not shachayanu. The Rebbe says that shachayanu means precisely what it says, life. The definition of life is something that's equal throughout the entire person. There are other experiences in the person that are not equal. For example, intelligence happens in the brain, emotion in the heart, uh, movement in the hands and feet. But when it comes to life, it's exactly equal from the top of the head to the bottom of the toe. You can be a little alive. You can be alive partially. You can be alive on part of your body. That's not called alive. Life is, it, it, it means that the whole thing comes alive and that's unique with life. It's not true with other energies. For example, if you, if you, if you plug in 10 machines to a power source and some machines you can shut down, some machines you can put on because they're not really coming alive. They're just plugged into some outside power that's pushing them. In fact, there's probably some machines where you can partially put them on and partially off. When you talk about life, when you come alive, the whole person is alive. If God forbid part of the body is dead, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. God forbid they have to amputate or else the rest of the body will follow. Life is not divisible. Life is in essence. Person is alive. So life represents that everything is in, included in this experience. That's the definition of life. So when a person says shehachayon, what they're really saying is that thank you Hashem for giving me the ability to understand and to live a life where my entire existence is enveloped in, in meaning, in purpose, in, in Hashem, in what it means to be alive. And the question is, how can you do that? So much of life is, is not positive. And plus, so much of life, even things that are not bad, but they're just a means to an end. So much of life we're only doing in order to prepare for the next thing. We get an education to make a living, to take care of our family. So there's so many years, and, and, and you might say majority of our time is only means to an end, not the end in and of itself. We spend so much of our time at work and and, and, and doing paperwork and, and, and doing things just to make life work, not because that's what the purpose of life is. The purpose of life is serving Hashem, doing mitzvahs, Torah study, our families perhaps. And the time that we amount of qualitative, quantitative time that we spend on those things, which are the actual goals of life, are, are tiny by comparison to the whole life. So much of which is spent on things that are just a means to an end. But we're now explaining that Shechayonu means no. Just like my whole body is alive, you can't be a little alive. When we say Shechayonu, what we mean to say is that God, thank you for granting us alive, which is all-inclusive. Where every moment, to the point that I could say, Lezman hazet, every moment until this moment, have been filled with life, have been alive, have been purposeful. How can you say that? Says the Rebbe, you can only say it with Torah. See where he's going? That's what Shechayonu and Torah are really synonymous. That's how I see the, the point of this secret. You can only say that with Torah. What is the definition of Torah? Torah is here to teach us that life has a purpose. And what part of life? Every single moment of life. Torah teaches us that, of course, we're here to do mitzvahs and to learn Torah. But by extension, Torah gives us a Torah attitude, which is, to quote Pirkei Avot, in all your deeds, you do them for the sake of heaven. And furthermore, from Proverbs, in all your ways, you know God, which means every single thing we do, even something that's only a preparation for something else that might be a preparation to something else that ultimately will be purposeful or mitzvahful or family full or what have you. 
doesn't matter. If God created the world in such a fashion that I need to do A, B, C, D, E, and F in order to live, then it's all providential. There's nothing accidental. The Torah attitude is an all-inclusive attitude, just like life is all-inclusive. That's why Torah is called life. Torah is kind. And therefore, the only way to truly say, I'm alive, everything about my life is involved in, in meaning, is when I have Torah. Because Torah makes every mundane behavior almost like a mitzvah. Because it's, it sets our attitude to understand that there's no accidents. And everything that Hashem needs me to do right now, whatever that is, if this is what I'm meant to do right now, then it is where I am. A Torah year is not in three places at once. They're not running to the next thing. They're not doing this haphazardly because it's only a, a, a preparation for something else. No, because a Torah person understands that everything that I do and that I'm supposed to do according to Torah is meaningful and purposeful. So by virtue of that, the Rebbe now connected Torah and Shehechayon. They're the same thing. Shehechayon means that I'm fully alive with all parts of my being. It's like a simple meaning of life means my entire body. To really be alive means that everything in my life, every activity is, is, is infused with life and meaning. And similarly, Torah is the same thing. In fact, that's the only way to really have Shehechayon is to be infused with the message of Torah. So Torah, um, I don't want to illuminate this clearly by an, another theme that's brought out about Sukkot, which brings out the same point. It is said that one of the reasons why the Esrit, this is not in the Sikh, it's parenthetic, but it's the same point. I think it'll help clarify the point. It says that one of the reasons why the Esrit brings joy and why the Esrit was chosen, the language is, the Talmud says, Tam the taste of the bark is the same as the fruit. To explain that most barks don't have taste, they're tasteless. Uh, at the beginning of time and time of creation, Hashem actually wanted that the barks should have taste. And that's why if you look in the story of Horatius and Genesis, it says over there, eights pre osa pre, I want Hashem said, I want to have a, a fruitful tree which creates fruits. And it's translated to mean that Hashem intended uh, that the fruit trees should taste like the fruits from which will come from them. However, nature, so to speak, disobeyed this ruling. And the Gemara says that um, if you look at the next verse, it says, no, the world gave forth, the earth gave forth trees that produce fruit. Not fruit trees that produce fruit, but trees that produce fruit, which means that the nature failed to follow Hashem's command and the trees did not have taste. Even though Hashem sort of wanted it, they should have. And every fruit should taste like the fruit. Every tree should taste like the fruit. So Hasidus talks about this. What does it mean that the tree tastes like the fruit or doesn't taste like the fruit? And there's one exception, by the way, and that's the esrit. If the esrit does taste, the esrit tree tastes like the esrit. I don't know what that means. I never tasted one, but I guess if you lick the bark, it has a similar taste to the esrit. What's the significance of this whole thing? Why do we want that the fruit should taste like the same as the bark? And why did Hashem ask nature to do it? And what does it mean that nature refused it? Does nature have an, an opinion? Does nature have free choice? So Hasidus explains, and Svarim explained that the bark and the fruit means the means to the end. In life, so much of life is like the bark. Think of a tree. The bark of the tree and, and the branches, etc., are so much larger than the fruit, even though the fruit is the purpose. The fruit is tiny, and there's a giant tree, and it's under the ground, and it's, and it's drinking up water all over. It's a whole huge production, a tree. 
And then it gives out a few furalach, which is really the purpose of the truth. Which in life, this represents that the vast majority of time and energy and effort and focus is just on things that are just a means to the actual fruit, to the purpose of life, the Yiddishkeit, the mitzvahs, the Torah, the family, raising our family in that direction, etc. When Hashem said, I want the tree to taste like the fruit, what he was really saying is from the perspective of Hashem, from the perspective of the course of truth, of life, nothing is unimportant. Nothing is just a means to an end. Hashem is the one who created this system that we have to have so many things in order to get to the purpose. And it's all for a purpose, because we elevate the sparks in that process. And therefore, nothing is really just bark. Everything's fruit. In fact, the bark has the same taste as the fruit. That was Hashem's plan. Hashem's command to nature is, I want your bark to taste like the fruit. I want everything that you do in the physicality as a means to an end should, should be as fulfilling as the actual purpose of life because really, everything you do in life is a way to know Hashem. Nature disobeyed that command. The translation meaning nature, since nature is created to be a concealment of Hashem. And therefore, by nature, until Mashiach comes, nature, said, nature says that's impossible. If the means are as fulfilling and wonderful as the end of every single moment of life, no matter what we're doing, you know, we're doing our paperwork, you know, we're doing things that are not that important, they're just leading up, they're just things that we need to do as means to an end. If all of those were fulfilling and wonderful and tasteful as, as the really important things in life, that's, that's messianic, that's Mashiach, that's a, that's a, that's a perfect life. It's a life of where you see the purpose in everything, where you see Hashem in everything. It's not the way nature is. Nature is a concealment of Hashem. The world, the word world means concealment. And therefore, nature's response was no. The fruits will taste one way, but the bark is going to be tasteless. The human mundane activities are not going to convey to us meaning and purpose. They're going to be dry. They're going to be tasteless. I don't know if it's going to change when Mashiach comes, but according to this concept, it should. But the esrog, the esrog is brought as a special fruit. It's a, it's a special fruit to a yid. And it is a fruit that we bring on sukkahs, and it's and it brings out the joy. One of the explanations is why? Because there is joy when we understand when the bark tastes like the fruit. When everything in life that we do, all the preparatory things that lead to meaningful things, when they all suddenly have meaning, aha! That's, that's called joy. That's called living. As I said before, because the meaning of life is that everything is included in life. You're not a little alive. And therefore, everything has a purpose. And that's why the Esrog has that special. So I'm saying the same thing this Sikh is saying, that uh, similar to that concept of the bark and the tree, both tasting the same. Says the Sikha, what does it really mean, Shehech That I come alive. I'm living a life which is completely fulfilled every single moment, all activities. And the only way to have that, the Rebbe says in the Sikha, is through the Torah's approach, which is that everything has a purpose. And that's why Sheikh Yonah was first, before the key money, before existence. What's the value of existence if it's not a fulfilled life? Well, the first thing is, is life. But the question is, why do we now say existence? If we already said this beautiful message of life, the answer is because this message of life can be experienced only by the neshama sometimes. Like, like spiritual things, like an angel on heaven or a soul in heaven. Here we thank Hashem further. Not only do we, our neshama, experience such a great 
blessing of real life, of all-encompassing life, which Torah allows us, but that we also feel that in our bodies. We're living in the Shama in a guf and in a physical body. We're able to live that way. That's an even greater accomplishment. But this lofty ideal of wholesome living is experienced by a physical body. Wow, that's crazy. It's unbelievable. Furthermore, the third blessing, which literally means we've reached this time, but the Rebbe quotes the previous Rebbe, that on a deeper level, that's the third step, means to tire us out. How is that a plus? Because that's an allusion to the concept that our connection to Hashem and to this meaningful life is something that's not given to us on a silver platter. We have to work hard to get it. A yid has to work hard to appreciate this Torah concept of real living. Through Torah study, through mitzvahs, through, through davening, through attitude adjustment. It's not easy. It doesn't come on a silver platter, the life of a yid, the life of a chassid. It's something that takes a lot of toil. And we're thanking Hashem for the toil. Why would one thank Hashem for toil? Because the answer is because only then do you appreciate it. Only then do you own it. It's like if a child is given um, opportunity in his father's business, but then he's told to earn it on his own. He's given opportunities, but then he's told to do it on his own. Initially, he might complain, but eventually he'll thank his father, not only for the opportunities, but also for not giving it to him on a silver platter and allowing him to do it on his own. Because it's, it, it's, it's, if it's free, it's, it's called bread of shame. The human condition is that we want to earn it. We want to feel that it's ours. And therefore, we thank Hashem that this deep, beautiful message, that Hashem gifted a year the ability through Teda attitude to live a wholesome life where every single activity is purposeful, no matter how important or unimportant. And that that feeling is permeates even our physical existence. And we live that way even physically in the body. Not somewhere on the Shaman High. And all of that is Vihigiyanu, that we earn it through our toil, through our hard work. Aha! That's a fantastic blessing. That's a fantastic gift. Now we earn it. We. There's no such thing as a, a gifted chassid. Uh, a person has to earn this attitude through their teta, mitzvahs, etc. And that itself is something that we thank for. So the Rebbe has addressed the main theme of the Sikha to my understanding. What is the connection of Shekhyanu to the idea of, of Teira? Because really they're one and the same. They both represent wholesome living, all-inclusive living where everything is part of the purpose. Based on this, we now can understand why we, we find that Simchas Teda is not something celebrated only by great scholars, but by most, by every Jew, and every Jew celebrates it equally, even less scholars or people who are not scholars at all. And we don't even celebrate it by Torah study so much. Who has time at Simchas Torah to study Torah? We're busy dancing. We celebrate it with dancing. The Torah scroll is covered and closed. And if we're celebrating Torah, we're seemingly we should spend the day in scholarship. And there should be a distinction between the way Simchas Torah is celebrated by scholars and laymen. And it's not, not so at all. It's completely equal. And the answer is the aforementioned. Since we understand that Torah, we're not talking about Torah scholarship per se. Torah scholarship is a huge, important part of Torah. But when we talk about Torah, we're talking about the Shekhyanu aspect of Torah, the aspect of Torah that it sets your life and, and makes everything included in, in said life. And therefore, it's not just about scholarship. It's about everything. It's about your day-to-day your, your -day life, your physical behavior, even your mundane behavior. Because in all your ways, you know, Hashem, that's Torah. 
That's the Torah of Simchas Torah. And therefore the joy is equal to all, and therefore the joy is celebrated specifically with the dancing of the feet. Because remember, the whole idea is to understand that it's something that's alive, and if it's alive, it permeates from the top to the bottom. And therefore, where do you see the true life of Torah, the true life of Simchas Torah? The true Sheheche Yanu. That the joy permeates your feet. There's no part of the body that's excluded because we're talking about real Torah, real joy, uh, the concept of life, which Torah represents, not Torah scholarship in a vacuum, but the concept of Torah in general. And therefore, that's how Simcha's Torah is celebrated. The Rebbe brings down in the Sikha that uh, we find in the Parsha this week that the Torah is compared to fire, Eish Dos Lamai. So it's brought down in our sage in the Chazal, just like fire, whoever touches it, it leaves its imprint. Similarly, anyone that touches Torah will be affected by it. Again, this fits in line with what the Rebbe just taught us, that Torah over here represents not just Torah scholarship itself, but the totality of the experience of Torah, exposing us to an attitude where every single thing of life is holy and meaningful and purposeful. I don't know if holy, but meaningful and purposeful and part of our purpose and our mission. And therefore, that applies to every single year. Furthermore, the portion also says that Torah is an inheritance to every year. When it comes to inheritance, it doesn't make a difference. You, you can be a, a one-day-old child, or you can be a, an adult who's a successful businessman, and they both inherit the estate exactly equally, without any difference. And therefore, Zimchus Torah is the great equalizer, and we dance with the Torah equal, the scholars to the layman and everything in between, and the Torah is closed. We're talking about an inheritance. And we're talking about the... The main theme of Torah as discussed here, which is all-inclusive and therefore equally applicable to every single yid. I sort of taught you the sikha from the end to the beginning. So I'm going to touch upon the last part of the sikha, which is really the first part in the sikha. And that is that the Rebbe says that, that um, to me, it's almost like a, a separate discussion. It's almost like a separate discussion. The bulk of the sikha is a discussion that we just talked about, that uh, that um, Torah and Shechayanu are this message, this all-encompassing message, this attitude of Torah, and therefore it's applicable to all Jews and it affects you even in the dancing and everything that we just discussed. However, um, in the first part of the sikha, the Rebbe discusses Simcha's Torah in, in the more narrow level, if you will, of Torah study itself even though I assume it could apply to the rest of the Sikha, but nominally it's talking about Torah study. And the Rebbe says, how could a person make Shekhyonu on Torah when Torah is continuously studied? It's continuous. So the Rebbe says, well, every time you study Torah, you could study it on a new level. Since Torah is infinite, the word of Hashem, and therefore ultimately we can learn Torah on a whole new level from time to time. And even though it's being studied by the human mind, which is finite, but the wisdom of Torah is really infinite. And therefore, really, ultimately, every word of Torah contains infinity. And over time, a person is able to come to a whole new level of understanding. I think this part of the Sikh is focusing more for the scholars and uh, the tzaddikim and people who truly innovate in Torah. That they are, are able to learn Torah from time to time on a whole new level. And therefore, they do make shekhin. Because it's new. How can it be new? Because Torah is infinite. So when they reach a new level of Torah, it's in fact brand new. It's not a continuation. And the Rabbi gives a famous example of Rabzeiro who fasted a hundred fasts in order to forget the Babylonian Talmud 
when he moved to Israel in order to study the Jerusalem Talmud. Let's explain in Hasidus different places. It doesn't mean necessarily he forgot Torah. You're not supposed to forget Torah. It's a great sin. But it means that he, he, he removed from his psyche the thought process of Babylonian Talmud, which is a more um, complicated and, uh, and, and uh, questions and answers, and etc., to open his mind to a whole new level of thinking. The Jerusalem Talmud, as the statement is, there is no Torah like the Torah of the Holy Land of Israel. You might say an example of this change is like if you, if you, uh, if somebody came back, right? Mashiach comes tomorrow and it's and somebody comes back from 500 years ago and you're trying to explain them the internet. So the person doesn't have any ability to deal with it. They have to completely forget their paradigms. You can explain to them the internet that's information superhighway. So they're thinking of a highway, they're thinking of horses and buggies that are running down a highway. And now they're going to try to come from there to understand an information superhighway, they'll never get there. They have to, you have to tell them, forget about everything you know about a highway. Just forget about it. Scratch it. We're starting something new because it, you need a new paradigm because they don't have any type of such paradigm in their thought process. Lahabdul, when going from Talmud Badli to Talmud Yudashalmi, I don't know what that means, but obviously it's a whole new level of Lima Dateta, of Torah, and a, a quantum leap because Torah is infinite. Apparently, the tzaddikim, they quantum leap over and over and over each time, a, a leap which is infinite, because Torah is infinite, in new areas and new revelations of Torah, and therefore, the Sheikh Yonu is applicable. And especially on, on, on Semchas Torah, which is the second set of Luchos, after the breaking of the tablets and the golden calf and the tshuva, it's an even greater accomplishment, as is known, that even though the first even though Shavuos is when the Torah was given, we make Simchas Torah and we end the cycle of Torah and celebrate it with such great boundless joy, not Shavuos, but Simchas Torah, lining up with Yom Kippur, with post Yom Kippur when the second tablets were given, Teshuva, repentance, fixing the mistake of the golden calf and the breaking of the tablets, etc., which brought about a much greater accomplishment, just like the power of the Valchuva, much greater than the person who never sinned, that it's a quantum leap, and that further hints to this concept of Torah coming to a quantum leap and being revealed in a greater way on Simcha's Torah. And the Rebbe wants to say that this is what happens. This is why in the Torah portion, uh, it speaks of Moshe Rabbeinu in this fashion. The beginning of the portion says that Moshe gave us the whole Torah as an inheritance. And the end of the portion says Moshe went up to Harnavo, and the commentaries explain Harnavo is a hint to the fact that Moshe now went much higher than at the beginning of the portion when he just gave us the whole Torah. He went to what's called the 50th gate, Chatanun, the 50th gate of wisdom. It's said that God has 50 gates of wisdom and only 49 are given and made available to man, even through Torah, even to Moses. That's why the Torah was given on the four, after 49 days. Only 49 gates. The 50th gate is uh, not knowable. However, on the day of his passing, it says, Vayal Moshe, Moshe elevated. He went up to the mountain. On a mystical level, he went up to Har Nevo. Nevo means Nunbo. But he had in him now the 50th level. He reached that place of whatever it is, that infinity. So therefore, this message, that as lofty as you are, you can have a quantum leap in Torah, including Moshe Rabbeinu himself, is spelled out, if you will, in the Torah portion itself, hence the Shehech So again, this is, so to speak, the first half of the Sikha where the Rebbe discusses the general concept of Torah being something that Shehech is applicable. Why? Because we can have quantum leaps. However, when this section ends, the Rebbe sort of says, but what about Regular people who are not on the level of deep Torah scholars. 
apparently on some level, we all inherit this from Moshe and from the Rabbeim. Then the Rabbi spends the whole second half of the Sikha applying this to the service of Hashem, not so much with Torah scholarship per se, which most Jews are not really on that level, but to the Chassidish approach of Torah, which is the whole second half of the Sikha, a life of Torah, a life that is truly lived, all encompassed where every single moment of life is serving Hashem, every single moment of life is purposeful, which is extraordinary, and which is true cause for Shehechayanu, because that's the definition of Shehechayanu, to truly be alive, and to be alive within the body, and to accomplish this attitude and this approach and this type of living through our toil, through our effort. Nobody becomes a chassar automatically. There's no gifts. You got to do it. And that is the higiyanu, the, the yigiyah, the hard work that brings it about. Agut and Sukkis and Simchas Tevim.